0: Good morning and welcome to another mini Monday episode of Crime Over Coffee.
1: We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. Today I'm going to tell you guys about the Florence hair salon murders in Montana. And this was a case suggestion by a Apple podcast reviewer, Lily Blue Eyes. So thank you so much for listening and leaving a comment for us. And we're excited to share this case with you. Support so yourselves a strong cup of joe and let's dive in. On November 6, 2001, a customer was pulling into the hair gallery in Florence, Montana to get her nails done. Her appointment was at 11am and she had arrived a little bit before that. When she pulled in the parking lot, she saw what she described as an oddly dressed man walking out of the hair gallery. He's wearing a large black coat and possibly a top hat and She thought it was weird, kind of took note, but was also just focused on getting her nails done and not paying much attention to it. So she goes inside and what she finds would scar her for the rest of her life. On the floor in the entrance was 62-year-old Dorothy Harris and her throat had been slashed and she was laying in a pool of her blood. The customer goes a little bit further into the salon to get to the phone and call police immediately, Once authorities arrive, they find two more bodies, Brenda Patch, who was 44 years old and a manicurist there, and then Cynthia Paulus, 71 years old, who was a customer who came in for a weekly appointment. All of their throats had been slit, and there was no sign of sexual assault or burglary. 30 minutes prior to the discovery of the bodies, Dorothy, the salon owner, had stopped at her bank 20 minutes away, so this crime happened within a short period of time. 20 minutes is a very short period. Absolutely.
0: Like for the crime to happen and for the perpetrator to disappear.
1: There is no apparent motive in these crimes. Police investigated and talked to friends and relatives of the women and they didn't have beef with anybody. There was no one who was out to get them. However, multiple witnesses described seeing a strange looking man of the same description walking around the area. And it was the description I gave you guys earlier that that customer saw of the man coming out of the hair gallery. The only other piece of evidence that was found in the hair salon were a pair of sunglasses that did not belong to any of the women. They put together a sketch of the man or suspect person of interest that people saw walking around town. And Eric, I'll show you it here. And there's also a picture of the sunglasses, too, which I think look like men's sunglasses. I think that the
0: sunglasses do look a little bit more maybe masculine, but there are, like I know, I think my mom has a pair like this from Oakley, and I know that they do different styles like that nowadays.
1: Well, and that's the thing with sunglasses, it's not a very uh, gendered product. You know, everybody kind of wears similar ones. Yeah. So it's hard to tell, and it could have been left from a previous customer as well. Basically, police have just nothing to go on here. Some people kind of connect this crime to some similar ones that happened. One in Great Bend, Kansas in 2002 at a discount bakery. It was called Dolly Madison Cake Discount Bakery and witnesses saw a strange man locking the front door of the bakery and coming out and telling a customer who was gonna go in that the store was closed. And they leave and later on a delivery man shows up and uses he had a key to go inside and found the bodies of Mandy Alexander, age 24, who was a clerk there, and a customer, Mary Drake, who was 79, and they had been stabbed to death with a sharp object. What was similar with the bakery murders and the salon murders is that there is no real motive that anybody could place. There was in a robbery, there was a sexual assault. All victims were either stabbed or had their throats cut. I don't think police linked them, but there was speculation and people believe that possibly they could be linked. Now, police are made aware of Brian Weber, who had lived in the area of the Salon Murders and was living in Nampa, Idaho at the time, which was about 400 miles away in But he was back in Florence, Montana, in the area around the time of the murders. He was a known meth dealer and pretty violent. And police brought him in to investigate him. And he provided DNA and allowed them to search his vehicle. And they didn't find anything that was released to the public connecting him to the crime. However, in 2003 and 2004, Brian is arrested for possession of drugs, intent to distribute, and more charges along those lines. And he was given 24 years and three months. And the locals in the area really firmly believe that Brian was the one who committed the Florence murders. And police start to try and build a case against him. In 2005, they officially released him as a suspect. I guess prisoners from the same jail That Brian was serving at were coming forward saying Brian had said incriminating things tying him to the Florence murders. Now, another character part of this story is named Lincoln Benavides. He was also convicted on drug charges, and him and Brian were known to kind of run together. The DA starts to try and build a case against both of them, saying that they murdered the women at the salon. I'm not sure exactly what the motive would be, and I don't know that they necessarily had a motive to tie them, but they were kind of basing it off what these other prisoners were saying. And they basically told the court, we want to keep them in prison while we build our case.
0: So in my experience, you cannot trust a word that prisoners say.
1: I agree, and... So we're building a case on their word now? That seems to be what they start forming it around. Investigators were trying to take their time building this case, and then Brian's 24-year sentence got reduced on a 10-year sentence because one of the charges got dropped. And all of a sudden, they're really trying to fight and build a case, try him and keep him in jail, basically, because people firmly believe that they had the salon murderer locked up. However, there's little direct evidence. There was some details that the court kept sealed that we don't know about. As always. Mm-hmm. And they kind of looked in the fact that Lincoln and Brian both had drug issues. They were violent. And they were in the area at the time of the murders. They both left the area after the time of the murders. However, Brian and Lincoln both maintained their innocence and said they had nothing to do with it.
0: Which, I mean, does that ever mean anything? Nobody's yeah. going to just be like, yeah, you caught me if there's no evidence against you. Okay. And if you are, then, I mean, good for you for being honest. But yeah, <laughs> but it's not, you know, it's, not, it's not a smart thing to
1: do in 2010 federal prosecutors filed a motion that dismissed these charges. And basically, were like, you cannot prove it's beyond a reasonable doubt that Brian and Lincoln were involved with the murders. We cannot actually try them for it. There's no actual evidence here. It was all circumstantial. And also a lot of it was just based on what other prisoners were saying. And like we said, you cannot take that as truth.
0: That's not even, I don't even think you can take it as partial truth. I think you just you need to ignore everything that comes out of prisoners mouths.
1: Right. And, you know, there is no real motive, no real ties. So they dropped that. However, um, Brian and Lincoln both keep getting into trouble and go back to prison. Brian was released in 2012, but then got in trouble again and was sentenced to another 15 years in prison. So, A lot of people do believe it was him and think that the right person is in jail, especially people in the area of Florence. However, the case remains technically unsolved, and we're not exactly sure who committed these horrible crimes and why. If you have any information or may know anything about the Florence Salon murders, you can contact the Rivoli County Sheriff's Office through their non-emergency number 406-363-3033.
2: So, please go to FireDEPTCoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found.